All right, man, I'm glad you're here. Um, I got some stuff I want to share in our message today that I hope is going to be helpful to you. And uh, it's one of those, I'm letting you know before we get going, it's one of those, those messages that get down into the core of who I am. So I, I don't know how long we're going to be here, okay? It's supposed to snow at 11, so we're good between now and then, all right? So a few months ago, I'm, uh, I'm with my, my beautiful bride. We're visiting uh, some of our family down in Florida. And on that particular day, I was the first one out of bed in the house. So I got up and I uh, made me some coffee. You know, you'd think your daughter-in-law would have all that ready, but you know. Uh, so I made my, my coffee. I hope she's watching this, okay? And uh, I went over to the recliner and got all comfortable in the recliner and uh, pulled it up and had my coffee and looking out the window at beautiful blue skies and uh, clear water in the pool and birds flying around looking for breakfast. And I remember sitting there with a cup of coffee going, <laughs> man, I could get used to this real quick. And I'm sitting there and I start to hear some commotion. And people in the home are starting to kind of get moving for the morning and I look over toward the hallway, and here comes my grandson. He's, he's the first one out of bed other than me who has school that day. And he's walking towards me, and I want you to know this dude is dragging, man. He is dragging. And he looks like he can barely walk. His eyes are closed. His hair is going in every direction possible. His arms are hanging like he, you know, they weigh so much he can't. He, you, you've all seen them. You know, they're just barely making it. And he walks into the room where I am. He jumps up into the, 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 the chair. He snuggles under the blanket with me. And he whispers in my ear one of the most truthful spot-on statements I've ever heard in all of my life. And I brought it for you to see it. He said this, and I quote, I always wake up worn out. Can I get an amen in the house of God? Okay? And I laughed about that when he said that. And that was so powerful. I came out of the blue that I put it in my phone because I knew there'd be a day when I would need that. Because, you know, life has a way of wearing you out, doesn't it? Huh? Am I the only one in the room? Life just has a way of getting you to that point. Because some days you're just, you're just going to be worn out. But even though you're worn out, that doesn't mean you can skip school, okay? That doesn't mean you should quit your job. Just because you're worn out with life doesn't mean you walk out on your marriage. It doesn't mean you can give your kids away. It, it doesn't mean you should give in to your addiction. It doesn't mean you ought to cancel your doctor's appointment. Just because you're, you're worn out doesn't mean you ought to be able to cheat on your diet or be negligent with your bills. See, the reality is that sometimes life just wears you out, but you got to keep going. you got to keep going. And I, I want to talk to you this weekend about how that applies to our spiritual lives. Because here's what we know. Here's what we know among Christian circles of people is that even Christians get wore out. And in a room like this with this many people here, there's a lot of people in the room that right now you're thinking, dude, you're talking to me because I'm just, I'm kind of done, okay? And a lot of us remember times when we were just kind of done. But, but here's the deal. 
just when you're worn out doesn't mean that you ought to backtrack in your faith. And we know that happens to us. We know that we have a propensity to that as Christians that when life gets a little messy and it wears us out and beats us up a little bit, it's really easy to slip backwards in your connection to God. It's very easy. And so what we're trying to do this series on this particular day is we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to encourage those of us who walk with Christ to be careful that that ought not happen to you. Be careful about that. Put a guard up so that that never happens in your life. Uh, many of you Bible people will recognize uh, this passage of Scripture I brought when the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy toward the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. And there was a guy that ended it well, he ended it strong, but if you know much about him and the things that he endured, you know that he was able to do that even though at times he was worn out. And so what I want to share a little bit today is how we do that and how, how you can keep that going when you just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of near done. We, we've been doing this since the new year started, and so if this is your first week here, man, we're just so happy that you're here. Uh, we're doing this thing called finishing is greater than starting, and what we mean by that is it's a good thing when you start your walk with God. That's a great thing. That's an awesome thing. We got people all the time here at Eastside, they're just starting their walk with God. Uh, one of our, my buddies here in the church baptized his wife uh, this week, and um, he told me afterwards that she said, you can't finish until you start, right? So that's awesome. Okay, Some of you are doing a little sissy golf clap, so if you want to give hallelujah to God, go ahead and, go ahead and do that, okay? Remember, we don't do golf claps, okay? We don't do golf claps. So, so you got to start. It's a good thing, and probably most people in the room, you've started, but, but if you don't finish, the luster of, of starting just doesn't matter anymore. And so it's very important for you and I to understand how all that works, and today I want to I show you how that comes up in the book of Revelation in the Bible. And, and if you went through our online study that we had over the last uh, couple years, if you did some of those or the whole study, you're kind of ahead of the game on some of the things we're going to talk about. But I think it's interesting that in this concept of, of keeping going when I feel worn out, that that is a really big topic in the book of Revelation. Now, there's something about that book that I want to talk about uh, real quick before we dive into it, because a lot of people think the book of Revelation is, is all this, you know, it kind of unveils, pulls the drape off of some really intriguing secret things. Like, like in the book of Revelation, it's going to tell us, you know, when, when Jesus is going to come back and, you know, how's he going to get here? A helicopter? You know, wh wh it's going to explain all that and it's going to show us how he destroys uh, the earth and it's going to put in the mix of all that about how, how Christians, you know, how do we actually get to heaven and, and what do we see when we get there? And all those, those things that we think about when 
somebody talks about the end times, a lot of us think, oh man, it's in that book. That book of Revelation that scares the heebie-jeebies out of me, so I don't read it very often, but all the secret things are in there. Can I tell you this about the book of Revelation? It was not written to talk about any of that. If you've ever heard that, or you thought that, that that book at the end of the Bible is, you know, describes all these things, let me, let me tell you this. It does not describe those things. It, it, may, it may hint at a few of the intriguing things that we wonder about, but it doesn't answer them because it was not written for that purpose. The book of Revelation was written to Christians who were worn out. They, they were just done, and life had, had, had got it, and, and God wanted them to say that, that just because you're weary, and just because life isn't working out the way you want it to work, you can't stop, man. you got to stay in the game. See, the reality is that Christians sometimes have to play hurt, okay? We have to play hurt. And that's what the book of Revelation teaches us about how to do that. I don't know where I got this quote. I wish I could give credit to somebody, but I stole it from somebody, and I don't know who I stole it from. So if you wrote it, thank you, okay? Check this out. Revelation was not written to satisfy our curiosity of the future, but rather to stimulate faithfulness in the present hour of crisis. And that's why the book's written. And so what I, what I want to show you, we're going to do kind of a, a one shot at this thing, is we're going to take a section of the book. And if you're one of our Revelation Bible student people, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. It is the fourth of seven sections. So it's a very important section in the book of Revelation. It's chapters 12, uh, 13, and 14. And those three chapters are one section, I'm going to show you here in a minute, and in that section, God is putting all that he can harness in that with emphasis that when you get tired and weary and worn out with life, you got to keep rolling, baby. you got to stay in the rails. You can't in and out, up and down, on and off. you got to stay in the rails. And so I want to take that section of material, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Now, an old professor used to say this to me, and uh, I'm going to say it, and it'll mess some of y'all up. You'll, you'll go somewhere, and your brain's going to come back in about 10 minutes. But he used to say this about preaching. He would say this, um, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them what you want to tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. Now, some of y'all going, okay, I know what that means, and some of y'all going, are we speaking in tongues now at this church? What, what in the world is all about? What he basically is saying is that every good sermon, you're going to say, okay, here's what we're going to talk about. And then you're going to talk about it. And then when you're done, you're going to remind them, this is what we just talked about. So let me tell you what we're going to talk about. And we're going to take this section of material, chapters 12, 13, and 14. If you don't know much about the Revelation book, man, this is going to be gold for you. We're going to look at it from a telescopic view. We're going to look at 40,000 feet, and we're going to summarize what this section is about. And then once we're done with the telescope, then we're going to use a microscope. And we're going to get down into the weeds on a part of that text. And it's all for the purpose of saying, when you get beat up, when you're worn out, 
you got to keep rolling, man. you got to stay on the track. So now that I told you what I'm going to tell you, let me tell you what I need to tell you. Let's start with the telescope. Let's start with that. And I'm going to put up here on the screen each chapter, 12, 13, 14, what it's about. And so if you take pictures or notes or things like that, it'll help you. Chapter 12 introduces us to what is called in the book as the dragon. And the book of Revelation uses all kinds of images and symbols, and the dragon is Satan. So in chapter 12, John starts to write this chapter and says, I want to tell you what the dragon is all about. This is what Satan is all about. And he began to describe in chapter 12 that Satan had some targets that he wanted to destroy. The very first target that he wanted to destroy was Jesus. And that is his number one goal. And we sang about it, okay? So when Jesus comes alive three days after Calvary, when he comes out of the tomb, the dragon realizes that he did not accomplish his number one goal. Somebody yell out, strike one. Okay, so here's what chapter 12 says. It says, since he came to the understanding that he could not defeat Jesus, he then chose to come after the church. And when I, when I talk about the church, what the book of Revelation does when it talks about the church, it talks about the church in terms of the organization of the church. In other words, like the movement of the church. It is all the force of God together, of people all over the world in all kinds of different stripes who represent their Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was the effort of Satan, since I can't get rid of Jesus, I'm going to get rid of the institution. So it's been a couple thousand years. We're bigger than we ever have. The fingers of God's church are on every part of the entire globe. I think it's easy to say that he failed in destroying the church. Somebody yell, strike two. Strike two. Some of y'all jumped me on that, didn't you, huh? So what chapter 12 does is he says, this is what Satan wants to do. Now get ready for this. Get ready for this. Most time when people hear this for the very first time, they get a little nervous about the book of Revelation because the way it's written by John in chapter 12 is, is very, I mean, I mean, it gets to the core. It presents the idea that Satan makes a decision. And since I can't destroy Jesus, and I'm unable to destroy the movement, and I never will be, and Satan makes the decision, then I will destroy individual saints. He will come after me, or he'll come after you. And if he can't get the entire institution, he'll pick off as many of us as he can. And see, whether or not it works for you or for me is determined by the fact of whether or not we finish. Because right now we're in a good spot, but we're not done. And so chapter 12 presents this idea that this is what the dragon does. And now he's on his third plan. 
And that is he's coming after you and me. Now, all that happens in chapter 12, and if you kind of follow the feel of it, you're going, man, that all makes sense. That's making crazy sense. And then we move to chapter 13. And chapter 13 introduced us to beasts. There are two of them. And it's interesting that he started with the analogy of the dragon, who is Satan himself. And then we hear about two beasts, and I want you to watch this. The beast are the strategies that Satan will use to come after you. So Satan, how are you going to get me? What are you going to do to me, dude? One of these beasts are going to try to get you. The very first beast that we are presented in the 13th chapter is said to have come out of the sea, and it represents anti-God government empires. Now, this is where the 13th chapter of Revelation becomes very relevant to me and you, and I'm going to say a few things that are going to rattle some of you, but if you get rattled, you got a problem with the Word of God, you ain't got a problem with me, I'm just a messenger, okay? We're finding out from the 13th chapter of Revelation the strategy of Satan to come after the saints of God, and one way that that will be done historically and all you got to do is do a history lesson across the world, and you see this is how it happens, is that Satan rises up governmental empires who stand opposed to God and all the things about God. And you just start thinking historically. And you can kind of pull some of them out. For the people who read this the very first time, it was the Roman Empire that opposed the things of God. In our own country... There's no doubt that a generation in our country would have said, we're talking about Nazi Germany. And so God has always historically sat back and watched as Satan rose up anti-God governmental structures who would go after the things of God and the people of God. And if you've been totally confused in the last few months about the whole Israel and Hamas thing, now you know. Now you know. It's impossible to read the book of Revelation and not do so at least a little with political lens. The strategy of the devil has always been to use powerful empires who will oppose the work of God. And that's why, listen to me, unapologetically, unapologetically, without any embarrassment, conservative Christians should not be embarrassed when we are concerned about what happens in Washington, D.C. We should be. We should be. Because the strategy of the enemy has always been large scale. That how can we use large scale forces to affect Christians? That's the first beast. He couldn't get Jesus, he can't get the institution, he'll come after the individuals. How's he gonna do it? He's gonna start with these major world powers. And historically all you do is study and find that happen. Then there's a second beast. The second beast said to have come from the earth is the Antichrist. You probably have heard that before at some point in your life. 
Now, we know from what we're told in chapter 13 is that the Antichrist has some kind of connection to the first beast, but we're not real sure what it is. We do know that it's a person. It's an individual who lives on this earth. And the Bible makes it clear, there have been many, many Antichrists. But they will all someday point to the Antichrist, the final Antichrist. And so if you're reading this in the first century, this letter is addressed to you, you're thinking of the evil Roman Empire, and you're thinking of the Emperor Nero, who fed Christians the lions. If you're in the middle of World War II, and you're looking at what Nazi Germany is doing to the Jewish people, and trying to take over the whole world, you're thinking who? Adolf Hitler. And it turns out none, neither of those guys was the Antichrist, but they were Antichrist. And so the world will begin to do this and build this up. Now the 13th chapter says, this is the strategy of Satan to come after your home, to come after you. Big scale, powerful people who put into motion things and values that will steal you from the connection to the Father. So chapter 12 and 13 are really tough chapters. You read them and there's a little bit of fear in it, really. But it's the section that you have to look at because then the 14th chapter comes. And the 14th chapter is God's encouragement to me and you, who are in the middle of all of that, God wants to tell us a few things. And so you start reading the 14th chapter, and there are three predominant things, very clear, God wants you and I to know in the middle of all this stuff, trying to wear us out. God says three things I want you to know. Number one, he says this, keep preaching. And what he means by that is don't stop working, okay? Don't stop, man, it's getting tough. I don't know if we can do this. Don't stop. Keep winning, people. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't ever stop, but I'm tired. You gotta play hurt. Don't stop. Keep doing the work of the church. Here's what he says in the second thing. Get your chin up, because we win. He reminds us of that. And so if chapter 12 and 13 scare you, God is saying, come on now, come on. Get your chin up. Because you know how this ends. You know we win. Have you ever, have you ever watched uh, your favorite sports team and you watch them play a game and you're watching them and they're just getting killed? I mean, they're just getting beat the tar out of them. And then toward the end of the game, they start coming back. And at the end of the game, they win, okay? So we've all, we've all seen games like that. Let's say that you recorded that. And the next week, you watch that game again, and your team started getting beat up, and you're down, and you're worn out, and you're bleeding. You know what? You're not worried at all. You're just eating pizza, drinking, you don't care, because you know how it ends. And that's what God's saying. We know how this is going to end. We know this. So get your chin up. We win, man. Yeah, but I'm worn out. But you ain't always going to be worn out, brother. You are going to win. And then he brings the third reminder to us, and here it is. The enemy is going to be blasted. I thought of all the inappropriate words that I could use there, and I thought I probably ought not do it. But he goes on to describe what is going to happen at the end of the game to the dragon and his beast and all his cronies, and they're going to receive a total 
destruction, the likes of which the world has never, ever seen. And so that's the section. That's this incredible section from a 40,000-foot view with a telescope. Okay, Satan is real. This was his plan. Couldn't do Jesus. Couldn't do the institution of his movement. And so now he comes after individuals. Here's how he's going to do it. Big scale stuff, man. Big scale. That's why that stuff matters. But don't you get beat up, Christian. Don't you worry. You keep going, man. You stay on the game. You stay in the tracks. You keep it up because we're going to win in the end. And baby, at the end of it, whoop, baby, he's going to get whooped like nobody has ever been whooped before. That's chapters 12, 13, and 14. That is the telescopic view of Revelation 12, 13, 14. So there you go. That's what it's about. Now, let me share a story with you. A politician, a preacher, and a Boy Scout were on an airplane. You're thinking, man, what is the transition between Revelation and that? And so they're up on this plane, the three of them, and the engine starts going out, and the pilot turns around and looks at his passengers and said, hey, we're going down. It's over. We're going down. There are four of us. But there are only three parachutes here, and I'm married with seven children. My family needs me, and the pilot takes one of the parachutes, puts it on his back, bam, jumps out. The politician then looks at the remaining two guys and says, I'm the smartest politician in the world. My country needs me. I'm taking one of the parachutes. Grab the parachute, put it on his back, jumps out. Now we got the preacher and the Boy Scout. And the preacher looks at the Boy Scout and says, son, I've had a good life. I've been around for a long time. you got the whole world in front of you. You take the last parachute and jump. And the Boy Scout says, no worry, preacher. The smartest politician in the world just put my backpack on his back. Now, so what does that have to do with this sermon? Nothing. I just thought we needed a little break, okay? I thought we needed a little break. And since we're in the political world, there you go. That's all I got tonight, all right? Now, I told you we're going to look at the telescope, and then we're going to look at the microscope. And so now we're going to get rid of the telescope. We're going to take all this, chapter 12, 13, 14, and many of you right now say, man, I never knew that. Now I've got an understanding of that. And now we're going to grab a microscope, and we're going to dive down. Watch this. There are 55 verses in chapters 12, 13, 14. 55 verses that we just looked at with the telescope. Now we're going to our microscope and we're going to go down and we're going to look at one verse. And the reason we're going to look at this one verse is because it is repeated two times. Now that didn't happen very often. Verses of the Bible are seldom repeated. They are at times. And when they are repeated, it's as if God is shouting, make sure you see this. And so there's one verse in this section that is written two times. I, I want to show them both to you, and then, then I want to teach something about them, and we'll be done before too long, Okay. Revelation chapter 13, verse 10 is the verse. So look, look at it up here. It's got a couple parts to it. This is the first part. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be 
killed. And here's the second half of that verse. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. You gotta be strong and endure and be faithful. That is Revelation 13, verse 10. Now, you might read through it and not think a thing about it until you get to chapter 14, verse 12, and it comes up again. Look at 14, verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. There are slight variations in both of those verses, but the heart of them, the heart of them both are saying this, that when you are worn out, when you're saying, I'm done, dude, I don't know if I got any more, both verses are saying, now is the time for endurance and faithfulness. And so that's what I want to be heavy with you. That's what I want to resonate with you now, is that I want you to understand that when life is not going as you want it to go, that at that moment, at that moment is when you must stay with him. You must play hurt. You must stay in the rails. Now's the time to do that. It's interesting to me that God never tells us to endure when the world is going great for us. Because anybody can endure then. He tells us to endure when things are difficult. Now, because we're using a microscope, let, let me do this real quick. The first time this comes up is in Revelation chapter 13, verse 10. Well, you know what Revelation 13 is about. You know now. Because you look through the telescope. And Revelation 13 is the strategy of the enemy to pick us off. And what's the strategy? These powerful empires, the rolling trend of powerful people who stand against God, and all of that is used to beat us up and slap us around. And here's what God said, metaphorically, if that means you're going to be chained, then here's what God says, you're going to be chained. If that means you're going to be killed, then you're, you're going to be killed. And what God is saying is that I am not going to always intervene there. I'm not always going to protect you. I'm not always going to jump in and prevent bad things from happening to you. What's happening in the 13th chapter when this verse comes up is he's talking about staying in the game when the news is bad. When life is not going the way I want it to go, that's when we endure. That's when we stay in the game. That's when we stick it out. And you and I know, we talk about that at Eastside. Man, it just seems to come up a lot of times, no matter what we're studying, is that life is not fair. That things are going to happen to you that will happen regardless of whether you're Christian or not. But that is not the time to back away. Be strong and be firm in the midst of that. Now let's go to chapter 14. Why does it come up in chapter 14? Well, you and I know what chapter 14 is about. It's when God says, come on, man, we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. We're going to win this thing. And how did he end it? Baby, there's going to be a battle at the end, and I'm going to knock them in the next month. And you read that, and watch this. That's when the news is good. That at the end of the game, we're going to win. 
And evil is going to be destroyed. And here's why I'm going to stay in the game. Because I want to be around when he defeats him. I want to see that. If I could give you a person who's hurt you all your life. I mean, just beat you up all the time, made your life miserable, and I got that person right here. And if I could tell you, now, Friday night, tomorrow night, we're going to put this person in a box, and, and I, I hired a guy to come and beat the living tar out of him. Would you like to come? You'd say, baby, I'm there. I want to watch that. That's what chapter 14 is about. Stick it out. Be here at the end of the game, and you get to see the destruction of the person who's made your life miserable. That's exactly what God is saying in chapter 14. So you put all that together, and, and here's what I hope we learned. And then I'm going to try to motivate you real quick here for a second. Is 150 times, 150 times God talks in here about finishing. Finishing is greater than starting. You've got to finish. No up and down, in and out, on and off with God, none of that. You finish. You stay in the game when the news is good and when the news is bad. You stay in the game. And it's no mistake that in the last book of the Bible, 150 times, we get to the last book of the Bible, and that book that carries a mystique to so many people, one of its most prominent messages is finish. 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 The whole Bible. And that's how it ends. Finish. So I began my message talking about my sleepy grandson, and so let me end it in that field as well. Somebody told me a few years ago that your grandchildren will be here on this earth without you way more than they will with you. And so if you're a grandparent, when you're gone, your grandchildren are probably going to live a whole lot more years than the years that they had you when you're here. Now, I heard that recently, and that just kind of, that did something to me. And so I have really tried, I've really tried, it's one of the things I've added into my life in, in recent months, is I have really tried to be intentional praying for big ticket stuff for my grandkids. Big ticket stuff. And one of the things that I have prayed for my grandkids by name on a number of times is that they would start the faith, that they would start the faith. And I, I think that's going to happen. I feel pretty good about that. They, they all come from families that love the Lord. Both their parents love the Lord. They're in churches um, every week. And so I, I feel that my grandkids are going to have that point where they start. I'm in the game. But this month, This month, I've been convicted that I pray that they finish. Because I want them with me. And their finish line is probably going to be way, way past where my finish line is going to be. And so I've been praying big ticket items 
from our grandkids. And it reminds me of um, Paul Harvey's letter that he wrote to his grandkids long, long ago. Now, if you don't know what, you don't know who Paul Harvey is, what I'm going to read here in a minute is going to make you mad. And if you know who Paul Harvey is, you're probably going to want to stand up and cheer. But Paul Harvey, in a different generation, wrote a letter to his grandkids, and I want to read some of that letter. He said this to them. He said, we tried so hard to make things better for our kids that we ended up making them worse. And for my grandchildren, I would like to do better, and so to my grandkids. I really hope you get to experience hand-me-down clothes and homemade ice cream and leftover meatloaf sandwiches. And I hope you learn humility by being humiliated, and I, I hope you learn honesty by being cheated. And I hope you have to make your own bed and mow the lawn and wash the car. And I really hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you turn 16. It'll be good at least one time if you can see puppies born and your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye for fighting for something you believe in. I hope you have to share your bedroom with your younger brother or sister. And it's all right if you have to draw a line down the middle of the room but when he wants to crawl under the covers with you because he's scared, I hope you let him. I hope you have to walk uphill to school with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely. On rainy days when you have to catch a ride, I hope you don't ask your driver to drop you off two blocks away so you won't be seen riding with someone as uncool as your mom. If you want a slingshot, I hope your dad teaches you how to make one instead of buying you one. When you learn computers, I hope you also learn to add and subtract in your head. I hope you get teased by your friends when you have your first crush. And when you talk back to your mother, I hope you learn what ivory soap tastes like. <laughs> May you skin your knee climbing a tree and burn your hand on a stove and stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole. You'll probably try a beer someday, but I hope you don't like it. And if a friend offers you a drug, I hope you realize that he's not your friend. And I hope you find time to sit on a porch with your grandma and grandpa and that you go fishing with your uncle. I hope your mom punishes you when you throw a baseball through the neighbor's window and that she hugs and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster mold of your hand. These things I wish for you. Tough times and disappointment, hard work and happiness. I've always remembered that letter. I remember putting it in an old file a long, long time ago. And now that I'm at that point in my life, I know how important it is to pray for my grandkids big things. Big things. And I think I'll always look back to January of 2024 when I started praying that my grandkids would finish, would finish. And I want to tell you this. As one of your pastors here, I've started praying that for you too. I'm thrilled that you've started the race. But real joy, real joy is at the finish line. And I hope to see you there someday. Thank you for listening.